Welcome back to Cherry Avenue True Crime Podcast. The based on a true story movie we are exploring today is In Plain Sight. And the case is the murders committed by the man said to be Scotland's first serial killer, Peter Manuel. We also have a side case about the last woman to be hung in Scotland in 1923. It's a crazy story. They both are. This is a true crime podcast with description of real murders and other assaults. Listener discretion is advised. The exception, not the rule. In Plain Sight is a 2016 movie that can be found on Amazon Prime. It is a Scottish television drama series covering the crimes committed by serial killer Peter Manuel in Lanarkshire, Scotland in the 1950s. The three-part series was first broadcast on ITV on December 7, 2016. The series is distributed worldwide by BBC Worldwide. The plot revolves around serial killer Peter Manuel and the detective who pursued him to his conviction, William Munsey. Manuel killed at least eight people between 1956 and 1958 in Lanarkshire. Press referred to him as the Beast of Birkinshaw as he lived in Birkinshaw-Uddingston. It stars Douglas Henshaw and Martin Compston. Both Compston and Henshaw spent time researching their parts and the characters they would be playing. Compston admitted to being scared stiff in one scene and said he had parked out of Man outside of Manuel's old house just to sit outside. Henshaw talked about his part with William Munsey's daughter and was determined to bring the character to life, who by Henshaw's estimation was single-minded in catching Manuel but also the only one who took to the notion of him being a serial killer. The description on Amazon Prime, an intensely dramatic retelling of a unique period in British history about Scotland's first serial killer, Peter Manuel, and his 16-day trial. The film starts in 1955. William Munsey's family, friends, and co-workers are holding a surprise 40th birthday party for him. Peter Manuel makes up a birthday card for the detective and drops it through the letter slot in his front door. Manuel has been out of prison for three months. When he was 16, he committed a number of sexual attacks and served nine years in Peterhead Prison. It's now 1955, and a young woman misses her bus home after a dance. Manuel ambushes her and drags her into a field, and when the man running the newspaper stand nearby hears a scream, Manuel clamps a hand over her mouth and tells the young woman, that if she makes a sound, he will kill her. He has a knife and tells her if she screams, he will cut off her head and bury her. He lays on the ground with her for a long time. He kisses her, traces her face with a knife, and tells her awful things he might do to her. He then told her he might still cut off her head and bury it in the field. He got off on her fear and ejaculated on her leg. He then sits up like nothing happened and asks if she wants a cigarette. She is relieved he didn't rape her, but confused at what is going on. He kept her in the field for a total of three and a half hours just talking to her. Afraid of what he might do, she stays sitting and just listens to him. He mentions his fiancée, who had just recently broke it off with him, and says when he feels this bad, he just wants to murder someone. The whole time he is talking, she is scared he is going to attack her again, and this time kill her. When he finally lets her go, she walks away, 
but terrified he might attack her from behind. But he does let her go. When she reported it to the police, she told them she thought she had seen him before and he might even live in her neighborhood. She tells them that she thinks he and his dad take the same bus that she does to work. A female police officer goes on the bus with her to see if she can identify him. She identifies Mr. Manuel, Peter's father, but Peter is not with him. Both Peter's father and mother do not believe he is guilty. They believed he wasn't guilty the first time and went away for nine years for crimes he did not do. They went to Peter's home and brought him in for a lineup. He was lined up with other men, and the young woman had to stand in front of all of them in person and go up and touch the shoulder of the man she was identifying as the one who attacked her. Mary, this brave young woman, did just that. Peter Manuel was arrested and went to trial. He put in a motion to defend himself, and it was granted. During trial, he told the court that he was dating Mary, and that night he had broken up with her. He said she was angry and made up accusations of the attack. She denied this in questioning. He used the fact that they were in the field for three and a half hours, saying that he was comforting her because she was so upset that he had broken up with her. He said to the court, Why else would he be with her for so long? Why else would she spend more than three hours with him out on a field when she claimed he was a total stranger? He said it was a case of hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. They believed him, and he was let go. William Muncie told her afterwards, Mary, the law has let you down badly today. I want you to know that I will not rest until Peter Manuel is behind bars. She told him to promise her that, and he said he did. We jump to the second day of 1956. A young woman is found dead. She is identified as Anne Neelands, who has been raped and then bludgeoned with a length of iron. The detective thinks it was Manuel, but his father alibied him and there was no other evidence. In the movie, the detective talks about how brutal the attack was on Anne Neelands, that her hands and arms were broken from putting them up to block the blows. Many months later, Peter Manuel is out on bail while awaiting trial for some burglaries. During this time, a woman, her sister, and her daughter were all murdered in their home. Detective William Muncie thinks it was Peter Manuel who did it, and find some indications that Manuel was watching them from the house across the street that was vacant because the owners were on vacation. He also thinks he meant to rob a different house where a business person lived, thinking there was money there. This wasn't Muncie's investigation to run, but he has to check in on it. He figures out that due to the way the houses were numbered, that the burglar killer may have gotten the wrong house, and he had actually been planning on targeting the Italian family's house, the one with the successful ice cream business. The husband of one of the murdered women was staying somewhere else on a fishing holiday. He had an alibi as he was at a hotel 90 miles away. However, authorities end up arresting the husband and father, Mr. Watt, because of two eyewitnesses who say they saw him in his car on the road between the hotel and his former home where the murders took place. In prison, Peter Manuel is ushering the book cart around to the cells, and he sees Mr. Watt. He gives him a book he didn't ask for and tells him to read page 100. There is a letter there that says he knows who the real killer is. Manuel meets with Mr. Watt's attorney. He tells him he provided the gun to the guy who murdered the family. He won't say who the guy is, though. Manuel tells the lawyer that the guy who did it told him all the details after the fact. Mr. Watt's attorney goes to see Detective Muncie. 
he was told Muncie knows all about Peter Manuel. Muncie tells the attorney he is sure Manuel murdered his client's family. He shows him his files on Manuel. He also tells him how he did a time run to prove that Mr. Watt could not have done it. There was also another witness he found that saw Mr. Watt scraping ice off of his car in the morning. The timeline just didn't work for him to be able to commit the murders. Between that and Peter Manuel's statement, Mr. Watt is released. Just before Peter Manuel is paroled from prison, he gets into a verbal altercation with another prisoner, Charlie Tallis. Tallis sucker punches Peter and humiliates him. Manuel gets released from prison and writes a letter to Mr. Watt and says he is now ready to tell him who murdered his family. After a meeting between Muncie, Mr. Watt, and Mr. Watt's lawyer, they arrange to meet Manuel at a restaurant so that the lawyer can be a witness if Manuel says anything to incriminate himself. Manuel tells Mr. Watt that it was Charlie Tallis who killed his family. Then Peter Manuel, not so accidentally, bumps a glass of wine getting it all over the lawyer's suit. The lawyer has to go to the bathroom to clean up, leaving Peter and Mr. Watt alone. He tells Mr. Watt that if he were to give him a money boost, he would be happy to end Charlie Tallis. Mr. Watt tells him it is an interesting offer, but he would need to know. He would need proof that Charlie Tallis was definitely the one who did it. Manuel says, something really incriminating, eh? Then he tells him Tallis told him something about his daughter. He says, don't shoot the messenger, but what Charlie said was, by the time he was out of there, your little girl Vivian wasn't a virgin anymore. Manuel is smirking after saying this. Mr. Watt cannot take it after that, and he lunges for him. They scuffle on the floor of the restaurant until it is broken up. The lawyer is back now, and Manuel tells him to tell Muncie that he needs to send better than them two to get one over on Peter Manuel. We move on to Christmas time, and Muncie reflects on how some of Peter's attacks have taken place during holiday times. He is worried he will strike again soon. At Peter's house, he gives his family nice gifts for Christmas. Everyone opens them, and his parents thank him, but his sister says she knows they are stolen, and they are probably other people's gifts. This causes an argument, and Peter storms out of the house. December 28, 1957, a 17-year-old girl named Isabel went missing. She was last seen going to a dance. Of course, Muncie believes that Peter is responsible and even questions him, but he has nothing on him. It's New Year's Eve now, or Hogmanay, as they celebrate in Scotland, or so the movie portrays in 1957. There is still no sign of Isabel Cook. Hogmanay is the Scots word for the last day of the old year and is synonymous with the celebration of the new year in the Scottish manner. It is normally followed by further celebration on the morning of New Year's Day, or in some cases January 2nd, a Scottish bank holiday. The origins of Hogmanay are unclear, but it may be derived from Norse and Gallic observations of the winter solstice. Customs vary throughout Scotland and usually include gift-giving and visiting the homes of friends and neighbors, with special attention given to the first foot, the first guest of the new year. Because Peter often commits horrible crimes around the holidays, and the fact that Isabel has not yet been found, Muncie has two men watching him while he is at the pub that night with his dad and a friend, and then outside his home later that night when he returns. Somehow, though, he snuck out in the early morning hours without them seeing. The smart family, Peter 45, Doris 42, and Michael 10, were shot dead in their Uddingston home in the early hours of January 1, 1958. They were not discovered for a week because they were supposed to leave for vacation the morning of the 1st. 
The police officers who had been watching Manuel that night told Muncie they left around 3.30 a.m., thinking everyone was asleep. They went to get a coat as it was very cold and something hot to eat and then returned. I am unsure if this really happened or if it was added for some drama to the movie. Muncie discovers that Peter Smart's wallet was empty when found in the house with the family's bodies. He talks to the bank and finds that Peter Smart had taken money out for the trip they were planning on going on. Then he finds out that on the 31st, Peter Manuel was broke, but the next day he took a friend to the pub and was buying drinks. Muncie actually got the list of banknote serial numbers from the bank that issued the brand new bills to Peter Smart before he died. He then put a list of the pubs that Manuel went to and told officers to see if they could find one of the bills. Peter Manuel was arrested on January 14, 1958. In the movie, Muncie uses the tactic of telling Peter they have arrested Peter's dad for helping him dispose of Isabel Cook's body. Peter tells them to let his dad go and he will take him to where he buried her body. They had arrested Peter's dad, but only for a minor charge of reselling stolen goods and nothing to do with the murders. Peter Manuel's trial was the first of its kind for Great Britain in that he was tried for eight murders simultaneously. No one man had been tried for that many murders at one time. Manuel pleaded not guilty even though he had confessed. He said the police forced him to make a false confession. After ten days of trial, he fired his lawyers and defended himself. The jury took two hours and 21 minutes to reach a verdict. July 11, 1958, Peter Manuel was hanged. In Detective Muncie's 40-plus-year career, he investigated over 50 murders. Peter Thomas Anthony Manuel was born on the 13th of March, 1927. His parents were from Scotland, but they were living in New York when he was born. Manuel was born in New York City. The family moved to Detroit for a while before going back to Scotland in 1932. That means he was five when he was first in Scotland. Peter's family settled in Birkenshaw, Lanarkshire. He was bullied as a child. When he was 10, the local police already knew of him as a petty thief. And of course, at 16, we know he was committing sexual assaults for which he was arrested and served nine years in prison. Manuel was convicted in 1958 of the murders of seven people. One of the cases against him was thrown out of court. Another, committed in England, was later attributed to him after he was hanged. The case that was dropped was the murder of Anne Neelands, 17. On January 2, 1956, Neelands was killed at the East Kilbridge Golf Course, which no longer exists, in the Calderwood area. Her skull was smashed and her underwear torn off, although there was no sign of sexual interference. Manuel escaped arrest in 1956 when his father gave him an alibi. He was charged with this murder in 1958, but the case was dropped because of insufficient evidence. September 17, 1956, Manuel killed Marion Watt, 45, Vivian Watt, 16, and Margaret Brown, 41, in Burnside, Lanarkshire. Margaret Brown was Marion Watt's sister. Manuel was out on bail for what was called housebreaking. This is the case where William Watt was arrested for the murder of his family, even though he was 90 miles away on a fishing holiday. A ferryman claimed that he saw him on a ferry during the night, and a motorist claimed to have passed him. Both witnesses picked him out of an identity parade. He was held for two months. The ferryman wasn't sure what kind of car Watt was driving. Police questioned petrol stations, gas stations in the U.S., but found none had serviced him. 
The other witness admitted that he did not get a clear look at Watt, but identified him based on the way he held his cigarette. One killing not addressed in the movie was Sidney Dunn, 36. Manuel shot and killed the taxi driver December 8, 1957, while looking for work in Newcastle. Dunn's body was found on the moorlands in Northumberland soon after, by which time Manuel had already returned to Larnarkshire. Manuel was never tried for this murder, as it took place in a different legal jurisdiction, but 17 days after he was hanged, a coroner's jury concluded Manuel had murdered Dunn after a button found in Dunn's taxi matched to one of his jackets. This verdict has been accepted in many accounts of the case, but some doubts have been brought up. On December 28, 1957, Isabel Cook, 17, disappeared after leaving her home in Mount Vernon to go to a dance at Uddingston Grammar School. Manuel raped and strangled her and then buried her in a nearby field. He would later lead officers to the spot where he had disposed of her body. The Smarts were found dead in their home in Uddingston in the early hours of January 7, 1958. Peter was 45, Doris 42, and Michael just 10 years old. They were all shot in the head. After the murders, Manuel was in and out of the house for nearly a week, eating leftovers from their hogmany meal and even feeding the family cat before stealing some brand new banknotes that Peter Smart had taken out for their vacation. He also took the family car out and eventually dumped it nearby. At one point, Manuel gave a ride to a police officer using this car. The officer was investigating Isabel Cook's disappearance, and Peter Manuel even told this officer that he felt the police were not looking in the right places. While Manuel had never hand-delivered correspondence to Sergeant Muncie's house, he did frequently send birthday and Christmas cards to the detective. Just as in the movie, they could not prove he had done these murders until after they searched the smart home and found the banknotes were missing. They retraced Manuel's steps at that time and found Manuel was using the same five-pound banknotes Peter Smart was known to have withdrawn from his bank on New Year's Eve. Manuel had been using these same banknotes to pay for drinks in several East End Glasgow pubs. After the police arrested his father, he confessed to eight murders and provided incriminating information only the perpetrator could have known. Manuel was tried for these murders in a sensational trial at the Glasgow High Court. In the press, they called him the Beast of Birkinshaw. In his trial, he fired his lawyers and represented himself. The judge actually said that Manuel defended himself with a skill that is quite remarkable, but the evidence was too great against him. July 11, 1958, Manuel was hanged on the gallows at Barlini Prison. His last words are reported to have been, Turn up the radio and I'll go quietly. Manuel's final meal was fish, chips, tomatoes, tea, and brandy. The documents about his case have been sealed until 2033, leading the public to believe they are unimaginably gruesome. And the information that is out there is already gruesome enough. Only two other criminals would be executed in Scotland after Peter Manuel. Anthony Miller on the Barlini Gallows in December 1960, and Henry John Burnett at Craigenshaw's Prison, Aberdeen, in August 1963. At the end of the movie, Muncie gives a speech on the steps of the police station to the press and public, and I want to end this story in the same way. He said, Over the course of the last two years, this man killed eight of our own and caused untold grief and fear. 
But men like that are the exception. They are not the rule. And there is some comfort we can take from that, and the rarity of such terrible things. I'll ask you now to go home to your families, please, and say a prayer for the victims and their loved ones. Thank you. It would be good for us to remember that men like that are the exception and not the rule. The Scottish Prison Service has confirmed it will apply for permission to exhume the bodies of convicted killers hanged at Barlini Prison. The Victorian jail in Glasgow is due to be demolished in 2025. It is not known how many bodies are buried at Barlini, but they include Glasgow serial killer Peter Manuel, who was executed in 1958. The prison service said if relatives could be contacted, bodies could be either reburied or the remains cremated. If no relatives can be found, the remains will be cremated. Barlinny, built in 1882, is Scotland's largest prison and has held as many as 1,500 men. It will be replaced by a new jail, HMP Glasgow, which is expected to be completed in 2023 on a site at Proven Mill about a mile away. The last hanging took place in the execution suite in 1960 when 19-year-old Anthony Miller was executed for murder during a robbery which went wrong. The last judicial execution carried out in Scotland was at Craiginch's prison, Aberdeen, where Henry John Burnett was hanged on the 15th of August, 1963. He had been convicted three weeks earlier of the murder of merchant seaman Thomas Gwynne. Burnett was the first man to be hanged in a new execution suite in Aberdeen, and was also the last. Executions were paused in Britain in 1964 and finally abolished in 1969. Burnett's body was exhumed when the Aberdeen prison was demolished and his relatives were informed. It has now been reinterred. Susan Newell was the last woman to be hanged in Scotland in 1923, having been convicted of the murder of 13-year-old newspaper boy John Johnston. Hang around after the music to hear her story. For the bonus movie names for this episode, I'm going to give you the name of five movies of a guy who also did the same thing as Peter Manuel, in that he fired his lawyers and defended himself during trial. That's right, Ted Bundy. So I'm not going to cover any of these movies because I think that just about everyone has heard all there is to hear. However, if you haven't seen one of these movies I'm about to name, you might want to check them out. The first one is the one based off the book by Anne Rule. She personally knew Bundy before he was identified as a serial killer. The book is a must-read in true crime. Period. The end. The movie is of the same name, The Stranger Beside Me. It's a 2003 TV movie. I found it on Amazon Prime, and you can also watch it on Tubi TV, which is free. It stars Billy Campbell and Barbara Hershey, it is also known as Anne Rule Presents The Stranger Beside Me, Ted Bundy, based on the Anne Rule book from 1980. Anne Rule was friends with Ted Bundy and worked beside him on a suicide hotline. If you haven't read the book, and I really recommend reading the book, you should at least see this movie. The second one is The Deliberate Stranger. It's a 1986 TV movie. The movie stars Mark Harmon. I unfortunately could not find it available to stream at this time, but that changes all the time, so you can check around and see. The third one is Ted Bundy. That's the name of the movie, Ted Bundy, 2002 movie. I found it on Amazon Prime, and it is also available to stream on Tubi TV. I have not seen this one, 
It stars Michael Riley Burke. It is listed as a 2002 docudrama. The fourth movie is Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Netflix stars Zac Efron. I'm pretty sure most people have seen this one by now. It's worth a view, and um, it stars Zac Efron, and it is available on Netflix. And the last one is Bundy, A Legacy of Evil, 2009. I have not seen this one either. It stars Corin Nemec. Corin Nemec. I cannot find this one for streaming available as of the date of this recording, but as I said with the other one, that changes all the time, so you may find it out there when you search. And remember to stay tuned after the music for the story about Susan Newell. Susan Newell, aged 30, was the last woman to be hanged in Scotland for the murder of a 13-year-old newspaper boy, John Johnston. Although there were no witness accounts of him being killed, circumstantial evidence was presented at her trial. She was found guilty of his murder, a plea of insanity was rejected, and she was sentenced to death. Susan McAllister, or Newell, was from a poor background. She married and had a daughter, Janet McLeod, but was widowed when her husband was killed in World War I. By 1923, she had remarried to John Newell, an ex-serviceman who was working as a Glasgow subway worker. The three lived in a rented room in Newland Street, Coatbridge. John Johnston had left his house in the afternoon of June 20th and had not returned. Another boy had met him at 6 p.m. and given him nine papers to sell. The following day, Newell and her daughter set off on foot with an unwieldy bundle carried on a go-kart, according to the newspapers, which would be a baby buggy, a pram, a stroller. While walking out of Coatbridge on the Glasgow Road, a truck driver offered them a lift. He took them as far as the east end of Glasgow and dumped them off in Duke Street. Locals were suspicious of Newell and the police were called. Newell was followed as she went into a back court and emerged without the bundle. She was apprehended and the boy's body discovered. On June 22nd, a post-mortem examination was carried out at Glasgow Central Police Mortuary. Johnson died by strangulation. On the same day, John Newell presented himself to a police station in Haddington. The truck driver came forward as a witness. On June 26th, Newell and her husband appeared at court where they were both accused of murder. They made no plea and were returned to prison. On September 8, 1923, Newell and her husband appeared at the Glasgow Sheriff Court and both pled not guilty. Her husband put in his alibi. Newell and her husband were both put on trial. There were 70 witnesses. Susan's daughter, Janet, testified against her, describing how the body of the paperboy had been wheeled through the streets on a pram. John Newell could prove he was at his brother's funeral at the time of the murder. On the second day of the trial, the charge against her husband was withdrawn due to the confirmed alibi. Her defense put forward a plea of insanity, but this was rejected. The jury returned after 35 minutes of deliberation, guilty. The foreman also indicated that the jury were unanimous in strongly recommending mercy. Susan Newell was sentenced to death and the date set for October 10th. The Glasgow Herald reported that at one point while her mother was carting the wrapped up body on the pram, she put Janet to sit on top of the bundle because she needed to rest from all the walking. This newspaper reported Janet as being a bright little girl aged six. 
The girl told her story in court, including stating that she was playing outside and saw the paper boy go up the stairs to her house. He never came back out. Then her mother took her to Duffy's public house and had her stand outside while she went in with her jug. She came back out with the jug filled with beer, and she also had a whiskey with her. The landlady who rented to Susan, her husband, and the little girl, the flat that they lived in, testified that she had heard several thumps come from Susan's room. Susan Newell was hanged on October 10, 1923. Her only parting words were, Don't put that thing over my head, when the hangman tried to put a hood over her head. Thank you for listening. If you wish to support the show, please tell a friend or share about us on social media. Come visit me on social media. Twitter is at Avenue Crime. Instagram at Cherry Avenue True Crime. And thank you again, and please be safe. The sources for today's episode will be listed in the show notes, uh, the links to them on the show notes, but I will list them here as well. 10 Things You Didn't Know About Peter Manuel, Scotland's Most Notorious Serial Killer, WGBH.org, Peter Manuel, Wikipedia, In Plain Sight, British TV series, Wikipedia, Revealed, Sex Secrets of Scottish Serial Killer Peter Manuel, Daily Record, the Beast of Birkinshaw, The Brutal Crimes of Peter Manuel, thelineup.com. Bid to Exhume Bodies of Killers Executed at Barlini Prison, BBC News. Google Newspapers, Susan Newell Murder. Who was Peter Manuel? When was the serial killer hanged? And why was he nicknamed the Beast of Birkinshaw, the sun.co.uk? Peter Manuel, Scotland's most notorious serial killer, the Scots Law Blog. BBC Scotland. Why the Gruesome Murders and Disrupted Sentence of Serial Killer Peter Manuel Still Fascinates Us 60 Years On, The Crimes That Shocked Scotland, The Serial Killer Who Was Rumbled by Cops After Spending His Victim's Cash in the Boozer, Daily Record, Susan Newell, Wikipedia, The Chilling Story of Child Killer Susan Newell, The Last Woman Hanged in Scotland, Glasgow Live.